All right, I think we can go ahead and get started. Um, so tonight is yet another entry in our Fiat DAO ANA series. Um, we started this series back at the end of November, uh, just to kind of create a platform where we could educate more folks in our community about the various fixed income asset protocols uh, that exist in DeFi today and are, you know, uh, or, or even just launching soon. Um, as these will become kind of pivotal uh, to what we're building at Fiat DAO, right? Uh, become sources of collateral uh, for, for users to actually mint Fiat against. And so with that in mind, I'm really happy to have Julian uh, on with us tonight. Uh, Julian's the founder of Swivel Finance. Uh, and I'm excited to get to learn more about Swivel with all of, all of you here tonight. So thanks for joining us, Julian. Hey, hey. Um, this is my first time on Spaces, so let me know if like I can be heard pretty well and everything. Um, you know, but yeah, awesome to be here. And I, I actually I took some time to read your your paper that came out this past week, which I'm sure you guys are pretty excited about. Um, and yeah, honestly, I, this is really an Amy for us, but I'd love to do the opposite sometime as well. Absolutely, and uh, you you sound great. You're very clear and probably awesome. sound clearer than I do. So, <laughs> um, re recurring issue for the fans, unfortunately. But um, yeah, thanks again for joining us today. And usually I like to kick these off by kind of asking some, you know, background questions on yourself. Um, and so if you could share, you know, what got you into crypto in the first place and what kind of served as like the genesis moment for Swivel Finance, I think that'd be a great uh, way to start things off. Sure. Um, I'll go through the whole, you know, the whole origin story and my just general background as well. Um, you know, I'd say, I, I, I think honestly, a lot of founders are quite unique in, in DeFi. Um, I'm just trying to make sure I'm not trying to, you know, toot my own horn too much, but I don't know. I'd like to think that my background is definitely not your standard one. Um, I graduated with a degree in psychology in 2017 and, you know, around that time was really when I was getting into crypto, right? Um, that was really when, you know, it was right before the big run-up. Um, Ethereum had really just crested over $100 at the time. So people kind of thought this was real. And, you know, I got pretty invested. Um, it was really a friend of a friend. So actually, technically, I'm a solo founder. But we had a, a friend of mine start the project with me at a hackathon. Um, and he had just known Phil Dion, who uh, over the past year has become popular because he had Slashbots. Um, so that was really the intro to crypto. And, you know, my first project, actually, this, this is actually not my first one, um, was, was kind of a rebalancing tool. Uh, when, when I was first introduced, I really disliked the lack of diversification and, and the crazy cool communities. Um, you know, obviously, people were just pretty much maxis completely at the time for one coin or another. And I wanted to kind of promote the opposite. Um, so, so what I had created was a rebalancing tool that lets you rebalance your, your portfolio on pretty much any given uh, exchange. All you had to do was give it your API key. And um, I mean, this has been a pretty successful model. Other people have done well with that. The differentiating factor for my product was that it was just completely client side. So if you're familiar with RockKey, it was like a, a, a portfolio rebalancer that you, know, you could kind of trust rather than trusting someone else with your API keys. Um, this failed. <laughs> this failed completely. I, I pretty much only had my own personal funds and maybe, you know, uh, uh, family, friends. And, uh, you know, there was probably like five million tops running through this bot at the end of the day um, with no revenue. So I'd actually gone into F Denver uh, 2020 
looking to get any minimal funding to try to pivot away from what we were doing there. Um, it was my first hackathon in general. It was my first crypto hackathon. And honestly, the goal going into it was just to kind of learn a little bit of solidity um, and, and make a basic project. The, the initial idea <clears throat> was just a, a time lock on top of Compound. And, you know, this was this was the middle of the bear market. This was literally Black Thursday, the day when we made this project. Um, so there wasn't really a lot of concepts around. Uh, and it was just, you know, we're going to lock a certain amount of funds in Compound. Um, perhaps, you know, somebody can use this as a trust fund or something in the future. It will become unlocked, etc. Um, however, after actually having made the contracts there, right, that was the first time making contracts. And it's pretty simple, honestly, just to do a, a time lock. It, it became a lot clearer that a better use case would be to make that time lock tradable. Um, and that's actually that that design is kind of something that has been extended not only into our protocol but uh you know now about half a dozen right um if you have some amount of money locked into a money market you can give the redemption value to one party make that give them the ability to retain it which represents a zero coupon bond and then you can give the rights to the interest the 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 yield tokens as now they've become um, known by to another party um and it's kind of like an interest rate swap it's not really because the 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 collateral is all given up front and the payments are all given up front, um, but yeah, it's it, it's kind of been something that just extended from from that basic hackathon project. Um, I guess I'll follow up the whole entire story because I've gone this far. Um, we we then went through Gitcoin kernel. Uh, there was literally zero traction going through that entire process. Um, I, again, I came out of it as a solo founder and was lucky enough to one night say screw it, um, and I applied for DeFi Alliance. Uh, not knowing really what it was, they essentially told me that I did not like I did, it was not quite the right program for us quite yet. Um, but both Imran and and Zhao from DeFi Alliance were then our first checks, um, and with kind of their backing, then I just shit posted on Twitter trying to get anyone's attention until Multicoin reached out to me, um, which you know that was that was the big reason we went with Multicoin initially was that you know. They were they're the people kind of think they're institutional these days, but they're they're really the original degens to a lot of people at least. Um, they were they were willing to support us and and have a call with us literally just based off of me shit posting underneath one of their Twitter posts. Um, all right, I, I'll I'll leave the origin story there. I think that kind of that kind of will wrap it up. Yeah, that's awesome, and thanks for the overview. I think you know hearing from founders who were there before um, we kind of hit escape velocity, you know, in the months after uh, Black Black Thursday, right, uh, in 2020, is always really compelling, just because it's been such a long road, uh, you know, to get where you are today. Um, and kind of as, as you're going through that, right, you kind of hinted at how Swivel uh, offers users fixed income, kind of with this concept yeah. of, of stripping yield. But if you wouldn't mind kind of going through an example of that, I think it would help uh, the listeners kind of understand uh, what's going on underneath the hood yeah and i, I mean just quickly finishing up the point you're making right like the landscape the landscape completely changed over the course of about three months um from from october 2020 until you know the, the even the start of 2021 everything had completely changed right um and i mean i i really want to emphasize that you know at the time, there there was nobody in the space. I wasn't sure this. I, I thought this idea was a, a great one, and I was just going to keep following up on it. 
but it was just the best thing I could do at the time. Right. And there was a good chance for me. Um, my alternative was getting into cryptography and, and IT just as far as the security side goes. So I was at the exact same time as working on this project, reading like the, just a, a massive, um, uh, massive textbook, essentially. So obviously, again, you know, things have changed a lot. Um, all right. On to exactly how, how we do fixed income, right? I, I kind of alluded that it's, it's similar to an interest rate swap, right? You have some fixed amount of capital in a money market that, you know, there is some prediction as far as how much it will earn until some future date. And that is worth something, right? Um, one party might think that it's worth more than another. You know, this is uh, kind of how you create any market is there's some advantage for one another. Um, or alternatively, there are folks with different just risk profiles. Uh, so generally speaking, there's always some arbitrage to be had between risk profiles. And, you know, that kind of supports this constant exchange. Um, the example exactly of how it works then is just you have one party that has some amount of capital and they're looking to get a fixed rate. Um, they essentially have to kind of say, hey, all I want from now until this future date is, let's say, 5%. And, you know, as long as that is um, kind of mathematically how it works out, I don't really necessarily care whether I get this now or later, right? Um, and even more so, I might be even happier if I can get it today. So you immediately split your, your capital into, you know, some, re some redemption value. We call them ZC tokens. Other people call them just in general principle tokens which allow you to redeem your principal at the end of the period. And then another token, your, your, in, our, in our protocol, your end token, um, generally speaking, they're just called Y tokens, um, yield tokens. And those represent uh, the deposit in the money market and allow you to earn interest. So once one party actually then sells the, the YTs to the other, you have, at that point, some amount of fixed payment up front. Um, you don't need to necessarily worry about any liquidations. You don't need to worry about any collateralization um, or oracles because everything has been paid up front. And, you know, th this is kind of why I think a lot of protocols have gone with this model. Um, there is a lower risk than completely making up your own money market like someone like Yield. Um, and you can kind of just claim that, hey, this is a relatively secure and an easy way to make a fixed yield out of what would otherwise be a potentially volatile floating one. Definitely. And, you know, like you alluded to, quite a few projects have kind of gone down the, the yield stripping route. But what I find really fascinating about what, what you all have built at Swivel is uh, your the implementation of um, kind of secondary markets uh, for these assets. Um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, Swivel uses a order book versus a automated market maker uh, for kind of the, the secondary exchange of those principal and yield tokens. Uh, and so Julian, it would be great to learn more about kind of your decision-making process behind that and some of the like implications as a result of that kind of design choice. Yeah, um, I, honestly, the thought process has changed a little bit over time, or, or at least the things I emphasize. Um, I'll be honest, initially I was an order book maxi to an extent. I'm a big fan of the ZeroX protocol. A lot of our infrastructure is based off of the ZeroX protocol. Um, and, you know, I think long term, there's a lot of interesting discussion to be had between um, what will provide the best pricing, RFQ, etc. Um, and all of those are still valid conversations in spot markets. Um, that said, the really big thing is just that it is very, very difficult to create an automated market maker for a derivative. 
And these are derivatives, right? In the same way that options automated market makers have been very difficult and have honestly at this point taken about four years to develop. Um, and obviously there's still not really one on the market yet. Um, there's a lot of difficulties to go through. And specifically then when it comes to to these, these are derivatives of, uh, of the rate, right? In the same way the spot asset might um, have a number of uh, parameters that you have to kind of pay attention to when you underwrite an option. The same number of parameters are there for, for this derivative. And the big example I try to emphasize is, um, I mean, there's two really big parameters I try to emphasize. One is theta, and that is what everyone accounts for with their AMMs. Um, Pendle was the first one to come out with a time-deprecating AMM that accounts for theta um, time decay on on the yield token side. Um, Element and everybody else um, are doing it on the zero-coupon token side, the principal token. Um, but at the end of the day, they're all missing the second factor and that the really more important factor in pricing these assets is not how far you are away from maturity, but it's what the underlying rate is currently at, right? If, if the rate on compound is currently 5%, um, your, your, your yield token might cost, you know, four cents on the dollar for a year, right? That's about 4%, right? Um, and if you're a liquidity provider, obviously, then your mid price would be 4%. You'd be buying if it goes up or you're selling if it goes up, buying if it goes below. Um, however, if the rate on compound then drops from 5% to, let's say, 2.5%, these liquidity providers are, are, are screwed. Um, it's not like an, a normal AMM where you can expect a reversion to mean over time. It is not like a normal AMM where it, there, you have an infinite time scale. technically. Uh, what actually happens is that the rates don't revert because it's a derivative, and you hit maturity, and you lose all your money. Um, and this is something that nobody discusses yet and is actually extremely, extremely, extremely important. Right. I, I, I mean, the liquidity providers will continue to provide liquidity with promises of tokens, but really the only liquidity providers that will likely be natively profitable um, are going to be ours, at least, you know, depending on market environments. Right. Um, so, so like that's that's like the, that's the end, end result. That's the big thing. Um, one additional factor. And, you know, this this might just be not quite as important because it's less critical, but even more so or, or equally in some ways at least um is is just capital efficiency overall uh, i mentioned in general that that spot assets have a lot of arguments about capital efficiency but there's even more of an argument um when it comes to these assets because of the, the how you price yield tokens and principal tokens um effectively i mean and every protocol kind of recognizes this to some extent uh, one yield token plus one uh, principal token will always equal one underlying token. One YT USDC plus one ZC USDC will always equal one USDC as far as the redemption value goes. Um, and when it comes to creating an automated market maker, you can't actually bring that into play whatsoever. You have to have one pool for your yield token against USD. And then you have to have one token or one pool for your ZC token against USDC. Um, so off the bat, you are actually completely fractionalizing your liquidity across your markets. The alternative is actually to have an order book that enforces that mathematical pricing, right? So the way we have it is if you are potentially buying N tokens, right? Let's say you're buying 10,000 N tokens at five cents each. This is actually the exact same action as somebody selling 
zero coupon tokens at 95 cents each, 10,000 of them. Um, because all that that zero coupon party is doing is effectively they're buying 10,000 uh, N tokens, um, Y tokens, and and they are immediately redeeming that for the underlying with their ZCs. Um, so there's this extra optimization that literally then increases capital efficiency an additional 100%. Um, and, you know, I, again, I, I'd say there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of more short-term differentiators as well. Um, but those are the things that are likely here to stay. Yeah. That was a great overview. Um, I guess the, the main question that comes up to me, right, is when we're thinking through all of these kind of complex decisions market participants will you know, have to make uh, in kind of this order book model, um, do you see you know, specific entities playing like an outsized role uh, in these markets, right? What, like, you know, I think there's been quite an influx of market makers into spot markets over the past 18 months, for example. Do you kind of foresee something similar happening um, here in the, you know, let's call it the yield space, uh, for, for lack of a better term? Um, or yeah, do you see um, it? Yeah. I, I think there there's, so one, we've specifically onboarded all, most of our investors, or, or at least our recent round was specifically to onboard trading desks um, and market makers. So, you know, I think that, yes, they will be large participants, partially because we're making sure they are. Um, but beyond that, there is very clearly a lot of uninformed flow in this market right now. Um, I don't know how much you pay attention to Element and Pendle's rates. And specifically, I was just talking about how they have two pools between yield tokens and, and, and principles. Um, and most of the time, there's arbitrage available, um, right? They're, like, uh, if you go right now to, uh, to, to Pendle, I would bet there's probably about like a, a $10 profit like literally available for anybody to go grab if they were to arbitrage the two pools. Um, and what this indicates to me is that there is a lot of room for profit for these market makers and actual professionals to come in, right? People that can actually play these rates um, rationally, one, but beyond that, uh, actually provide liquidity and profit off of those spreads from these uninformed participants, right? Um, it, it's actually insane to me how inefficient the market is right now. And, you know, I, I, it's difficult for us to even model it. Um, and that's why most likely a lot of market makers haven't participated a lot yet. Um, I think, you know, th there is to an extent some blame to be given on the models folks have chosen. Um, and I mean, I, it might sound like I'm talking shit, but I like to be very clear. I think Element has had, had the best business development. So they have the most liquidity by a massive margin. But I don't like the way that they've designed their protocol personally. Um, and I think it actually hurts liquidity. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of things to necessarily blame or put like fingers at. But regardless of all these, uh, yeah, just the unformed flows are too tasty for market makers for sure. Interesting. Do, do you chalk up the uh, kind of lack of, you know, ex I guess the lack of uh, really involved arbitrage to date kind of due to the fact that, you know, there are probably easier ways to, to make a buck in DeFi uh, for those larger players? Or is it just, you know, a kind of complete ignorance to the to the topic in general? A little A, a little B. Um, with, with Pendle, honestly, this stuff, I don't... It's, it, I shouldn't be able to manually arbitrage when there's this much MEV on chain. 
Um, so what that comes down to is them not take, like you should spend some, a little bit of effort. I don't know if it's really on them that I'm phrasing that wrong. Right. But you can, you can get in contact with searchers through flashbots and they are all willing to take free money. Right. Um, so you can like, you can definitely improve the arbitrage between your systems and everything. Um, and what that indicates to me is, yeah, that some people literally just don't know it's there. Right. Um, I don't know necessarily uh, overall why, right? A lot of the the arbitrage is short term, right? That's what we're looking for. Um, and I guess one of the other things is kind of on this note that I, I thought would be a good topic. I didn't necessarily bring it up whatsoever. Was um, you know just arbitrage between these fixed rate markets too? It's w one thing that I think protocols have absolutely failed on is synchronizing and working together as far as maturities go. Um, Right. Like, I think right now there's maybe only one protocol that is working with yield. I, I haven't checked um, Tempest's maturities, but I know that Notional, I know that Element, um, I know that HiFi and Yuma, um, they were, they're all in different maturities. And this makes it super unfriendly for any more like advanced market participants because it, it removes all of the context you have when you look at how to price the asset. Right. If you are on Binance and Binance is the only exchange that's telling you how much an asset is worth, all of a sudden that's a lot sketchier and you don't know what it's really worth. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think there's there's a lot of growth that literally will just be had uh, as long as protocols are actually trying to, to work together as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um... Yeah, that's a really good take. It, it sounds like we need a, a, a meta alliance across all the protocols for some standardization. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the easiest. So we're we're working, not working with yield because that implies like a hard partnership, but we are making sure our maturities are synchronized with yields, at least. Um, and then on that note, yield is making their sure their maturities are synchronized with FTX. So or their, their future states, the quarterly futures. Um, so I, honestly, I expect that that is where everyone will end up. This isn't necessarily like, I, I mean, I, I said this, this is part of my pitch to investors. So this is kind of the paradigm I've been, I've been going with for a long time. Most likely, you know, there will be a couple protocols that start to work on the same maturity and everybody else just realizes that, that, that gets them more liquidity if they kind of adhere to the same standards. Um, yeah. I'm I'm inclined to agree. Um, I, I see that one of our main considerations is you know how we onboard uh, supported collateral types, and there definitely is a is a larger lift uh, for protocols that have um, kind of uh, oh what's the word not inconsistent right but um, where where users can choose their own maturity yeah. rate as opposed to a, you know a select few being offered. Um, and so I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I do think there, there will be a move towards standardization, you know, as there is obviously in, in the real world. And I think that's where kind of people's, um, you know, where the market makers we're talking about, where their reference lies, right? Like they'll want to recreate as much of, of those conditions as possible because it just drives efficiency and, you know, their bottom line, right, at the end of the day. Yeah, um, and and honestly, the 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 business development interest we've had most from is largely um, traditional institutions and people that or or crypto institutions that aren't quite able to deploy capital in DeFi yet. Um, 
these are people that like, right, everybody that is able to borrow at a traditional rate um, and deploy it in DeFi kind of wants to right now. And it just comes down to regulations. So, you know, a lot of these more, I mean, I, some of them are advanced, not all of them, but I, I just consider, I'll throw them all in the same bucket. The more advanced participants, um, like they're coming, right? It just, that, that side will take time for sure. Right. Um, and so uh, for users who are interested in, you know, participating in Swivel Finance markets, um, what kind of originators can they expect to be able, uh, you know, to get exposure to? You've mentioned blending markets to, uh, like, like Compound, but are you thinking of kind of expanding beyond just uh, lending market yields or is, is that the primary focus for now? I, I, that's where I see the most liquidity immediately. Um, is is lending market yields right and and i include there's a question internally as to whether we do um have a direct lido integration or we do it through someone like yearn right where you're getting an additional yield on top of lido um but you know i guess on that note right the the we're looking at really the primary money market protocols right um and the ones I'm kind of most excited about are, are, are Yearn and Rari, right? These are the ones, these are places you can actually get reasonable yields at this point in time. Um, and specifically then when it comes to Rari, that's when it gets fun in my opinion, right? Trading rates on Compound isn't necessarily fun. It is profitable. Um, and if you're smart, you're, you're massively profitable, right? But it's not necessarily like these rapid shifts in rates where you're going to profit on a daily basis. Um, so, you know, I, am actually, I'm super excited about, about, about Rari, um, past that, you know, there's, there's a lot we can do. Obviously this, this LP shares are the most likely candidate, um, beyond obviously money markets, but, you know, I'm sure there's, there's, there's a few other things as well. I'm not thinking of immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely echo you on, on the Rari sentiment, right? Because it, just even having multiple pools with the same asset being lent in them, right? Lends itself so well to uh, potential arbitrage uh, in a yeah. way that you might not see with uh, more, more uh, walled garden <laughs> lending market solutions. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this is kind of blending in, I'm sure to another question, right? Um, it, as far as like layer two things, I, I honestly, I honestly think that Rari and, and launching on a layer two is almost, a, it feels like a different product um, for a large, to a large extent, right? Um, you, you have rates that are volatile. You can trade with small ticket sizes. Um, th that really starts to feel more like, like trading rates. And, you know, that's something I'm definitely excited about for sure. Um, and you kind of uh, alluded to it a little bit as well with, with the Lido reference, but, um, you know, with staked ETH as a derivative on ETH uh, mainnet today and, you know, the hopeful kind of merge coming this year and, you know, ETH 2.0 uh, staking returns being uh, foundational to what we're doing on Ethereum-based DeFi uh, as a result. Do you kind of have a, a view on what those markets might look like uh, for, for your product and whether or not that leads to far more people kind of getting interested in DeFi rates uh, as a result. Yeah, um, I, I think honestly, so there's there's going to be a lot of shakeup in general with ETH 2.0. Um, I'll cover our product first, right? Uh, 
I honestly think that ETH 2.0 will likely be, or and just ETH in general, will, will be the largest asset for most of our contemporary protocols, um, on mainnet at least. Um, there will definitely be a, and, and primarily I say this um, because of MEV, right? Everybody that lends or, or, or stakes on somewhere like Coinbase gets 4.5% currently, and that I'm sure will continue to go down. Um, probably will end up around 4% there, and nobody will ever move their capital from Coinbase, right? So the paradigm that's likely going to develop is that places that fairly distribute and share MEV start to honestly double or, or, or more even um, the rates that are offered on centralized exchanges where a lot of people are holding their capital. And that's really what I think will start pushing, honestly, a lot of more capital on chain in general. Um, Right. If if you can confidently say if you're Lido and you can confidently say that we're likely going to be offering eight to nine percent versus the alternative four and a half, um, that's incredible. And you know if you're then Swivel or Element or anybody else and you're able to say, hey, we're offering eight percent, maybe fixed if if the floating is nine, um, then obviously, and you're able to to realize that capital today, um, that's obviously a way better deal. Uh, and and. <laughs> There's, there's even, there's a lot more stuff to, to even talk about there, right? I think people are completely underestimating the sort of the, the composability that's been built up around ETH and, and what will be going on with ETH 2.0, right? I, I talked about there, you have the base staking yield of four and a half percent, let's say, um, and you have an MEV yield of let's say five to six percent, which is the current projections, um, or actually higher, because uh, that was based off of uh, Flashbot's work in midsummer. Um, and since then, MEV is even it's, it, the people capturing MEV don't get any of the profits. It's just the validators or miners, right? So that rate should be even higher. Um, then, in addition, to that you have lending yields, right? Let's say if you're instead integrating Yearn, um, so you're up to likely around fifteen percent at this point. And then on top of that, there's going to be a number of vaults, right? That are that are underwriting collateral um, with this with, with the same assets. And this is really where I see, honestly, a lot of stuff being shaken up, right? A ton of capital moving on chain. Um, all of it likely in this just primary asset, ETH, uh, earning roughly 20 to 25%, right? Um, completely changes kind of the expectations of what people are going to be borrowing at and what people are going to be lending at. You know, So it, I think, honestly, people are underestimating how much this is going to change the yield landscape completely. And then also underestimating how important it will be for for these products for sure. Yeah. We need to get you on into the ether next. <laughs> it's quite the it's quite the bull case for ETH 2.0. And I think it's a great point. The um, kind of the internalization of MEV profits, I feel like gets thrown to the wayside or, or forgotten by most people. Uh, yeah. I, I mean I don't I, I'll, I'll keep going. I, I, this is like my, my favorite topic, honestly, right? Like, I think depending on the things you can build around MEV, there are a lot of cool instruments. Um, and, and the example I would use is even our products um, are, are the, the yield tokenization or cash flow tokenization products, which, you know, let's say that the staking yield is, is 4% and the MEV yield is realistically like 6 or or more. Um, what does that yield token actually represent at that point? Does it represent staking or does it represent MEV? For the most part, it's the MEV. And I'm sure some people could figure out a way to measure and separate it out solely MEV. Um, 
And then, all right, so, so and I, I wrote about this. What does MEV actually represent? Um, well, MEV is is pretty much solely correlated with volatility because volatility is what, what leads to all the ARBs and liquidations. So, you know, in that context, what you actually have is a futures for volatility. Um, and that's obviously a completely different product, right? And that's something super cool. Um, I don't know. There, there's, for me, obviously going to be a lot built around this sort of stuff. That's a really cool point. I had never even considered that. But, but yeah, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> uh, I, I guess taking uh, taking a step back from, you know, how, how Swivel is operating or kind of like at the protocol level, uh, you just recently announced the, you know, pending launch of the Swivel DAO. Uh, you know, it would be great to kind of hear your thoughts on how you're thinking about uh, the Swivel protocol kind of going into this, you know, more, more community run potentially type operating model at some point in the future. And have, like your puts and takes on, you know, what a DAO even even means today, right, for, for a DeFi project. Yeah, you get, I'm sure, a bunch of different opinions on this. Uh, I, I honestly, I think the perfect version of a DAO is one that doesn't exist. Um, right. So I think Uniswap V2 is like the perfect product, right? Um, let's say if you couldn't at least blacklist addresses as Uniswap labs, um, right. It's something that is completely able to live by its own rights, potentially forever. It might not be the most optimized. I'm sure people can optimize further for specific situations like they have been, um, but it's there and can continue running, um, without intervention. And, you know, that is the ideal for protocol. Um, when it comes to an order book, you, that's almost impossible because there's largely, especially if you have incentives on the order book, you're going to be needing to modulate your incentives, ensure there isn't wash trading, like essentially uh, try to look for these factors. And I'd say that those are that's the primary goal of the DAO, right? Of course, you're looking at things like um, launching new markets and you know uh, uh, dealing with capital formation and stuff at first, right? Um, but the end result and, and the end goal is to just have it sit there and largely try to modulate our fees and liquidity incentives in order to prevent wash trading, right? Um, if we're able to successfully kind of create a healthy ecosystem, um, then I'm happy, right? That's really what the DAO is there for. Definitely. Um, it's, it's like the, uh, I, I've seen the phrase thrown around a few times, right? It's, you know, the DAO is, is the worst way to govern a protocol aside from all the others. <laughs> and so if, if you have a protocol that needs, you know, some element of, of governance and is not totally ossified yet, it's, it's something we have to kind of grin and bear, right, at, at this point. Um, yeah, but, I, I think you know. a, a lot of protocols just need to be very, like you need to identify very early what are the things you will not be able to remove from, from your system, right? Um, and then like, what are the things we can just self-contain then after that too, right? With incentives, et cetera, yeah. Right, and since, since you mentioned incentives, right? Um, I, I believe, right, the governance token of the DAO will be called SWIFT you know, SWIV. And um, in, the, in the more recent article on it, uh, you kind of walk through this concept of, of the swivel security module, um, which I think was really interesting. And, you know, if you, if you wouldn't mind doing a quick walkthrough here, I think folks would uh, be keen to learn more about it. Awesome. 
Um, yeah, I guess that the goal of it actually is to ensure that the system is, is kind of self-contained, like I was just speaking about. Um, right. So I guess, uh, mechanically it's, it's most similar to, to the Aave safety module, right. Where you have users that are able to, to deposit their Aave tokens and what they're effectively doing. And when they do that is backstopping risk in the protocol. Um, so backstopping risk can be defined by any number of things. Um, that is really one of the things that are kind of more vacuous for governance to define at first, right? Whether backstopping might include, um, you know, Oracle risk on compound, for example, right? Is that something that, that we should say that our stakeholders are, are kind of worried about? Um, and I guess kind of backing up a second, um, if, we, if the goal of the DAO is to prevent wash trading, well, how do you do that? Um, well, with fees, this is this is kind of the the angle that the the looks DAO has taken at this moment, right? Where they acknowledge that there's going to be some amount of wash trading. If there's going to be liquidity incentives, there likely will always be. Um, and then the question is, you know, can we dissuade that? Um, they do it through fees. We do similarly. We have fees. And then the question is, okay, where do these fees go? They give it to anybody that stakes for any reason, essentially. Um, and that isn't something that I'm a big fan of, honestly. I don't think that people should just be able to stake and and profit doing nothing. Um, and even further than that, that that like it is essentially that makes it a security, in my opinion, right? Where when you have something that you're able to just say, "Hey, you're able to accrue value from from the protocol." Um, instead, what folks are doing with Swivel is actively backstopping risk, and you know whatever yield they may get. Um, from fees, et cetera, is, is completely dependent then on, you know, their risk profile. Got it. Well, Julian, I've really appreciated you walking us through, you know, kind of protocol design and DAO design, as well as your, your view on the market. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Um, I usually end these by asking, you know, Two, two main questions, which are what surprised you the most about last year in DeFi and what excites you the most about DeFi in this upcoming year? Um, so if you have any hot takes, this, this would be the time. <laughs> yeah, I, it's less hot now, for sure. I'm thinking uh, now that Ohm and Olympus has, has you know, dropped 75%. Um, I mean, actually, now I'm a buyer. I actually just I just bought. I spent seventy grand on on Ohm, and I've been trading it a little bit this week. Um, but beyond that, I was actually very surprised by the takeoff of the Ohm narrative and the lack of adoption as far as Uniswap v3 incentive programs go. Um, you know, I I going into this again, I'm I'm like a capital efficiency like kind of uh, devil's advocate thing, uh, and. You know, I, I honestly didn't really understand what the short-term ICO slash advertisement by giving people highest rates um, really provided to the market. Um, I acknowledged over time that, hey, you know, if you if you can gather enough capital in a system, you can build a legitimate project with it afterwards. But I always kind of thought that this wasn't a really sustainable way to grow liquidity for your protocol. Um, and I mean, we haven't announced this yet, but we'll be doing the alternative which is, you know, just using the Uniswap v3 staker contracts. Um, I think this is a far more effective way. And even, even I'd say, objectively, there's been enough research now to, to say this is the case. 
Um, I don't know if if you saw Pool Together's postmortem on on their Olympus Pro program, but essentially they said that it would take them like twenty years to accumulate enough liquidity for it to be worth it. Or it's like I, I'm probably quoting the wrong number, but they essentially said it wasn't really worth it. Um, everybody that was buying the tokens was immediately or, or bonding or, or whatever you'd call it in that case um, was immediately selling. Um, and you know, to me, this yeah, this just indicates that what people should be doing is launching liquidity programs using the Uni three three staker contracts, similar to to Ribbon. Yeah, and just to follow on that, I think one of the more surprising things too, and kind of your point on Uni v three uh, not getting kind of traction you expected, right? With the whole curve war narrative of the past you know month, two months in particular. It, it, it's been quite contrary to what you've seen on chain, right? Ever, ever since yeah. Uni V three rolled out uh, one bip uh, fee tiers, I think it was uh, Ryan Watkins shared like a chart yesterday that showed like ninety percent of stablecoin volume actually goes through Uni V three, despite all the focus, you know, having been on curve over the past quarter or so in particular, um, and so it kind of like just begs to begs the question, right? Like whether you follow on-chain metrics or crypto Twitter narratives, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I uh, again, there has to be some acknowledgement that crypto Twitter holds more power largely than, than on-chain metrics, at least for, you know, a year. That's what it seems like, right? Like you can completely, you can grow a project with just memes. Um, so, you know, I... I Perhaps the, the 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 curve dynamics lead to some sick governance change that you know kind of establishes the protocol as what it really is. Um, I, there's been a lot of conversation around curve really being more of a um, way to buy a peg for your token, right? Where you know, in the example, I, I think Lido is probably the best example where they're pretty much giving incentives to liquidity providers. And, you know, because the liquidity providers are providing liquidity on curve nowhere else, it is, it's essentially, it's, it's keeping the tokens on, on par, um, you know, and I don't know, maybe they can rebrand. And, and I think that's really like the long-term um, feasibility on their end, right? At least, unless there's other mathematical optimizations that, I mean, that shit's just beyond me. Yeah. And I'd ask about what excites you the most about 2022 DeFi, but it, it sounds like it's ETH 2.0. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's it's it is the amount of composability and stuff that people really just don't see coming. That's my opinion, right? The the the, the DeFi 2.0 narrative came because of liquidity programs, but it really will come next summer because that's how the venture capital cycles work. Right. Like last year was the year that finally everybody got a ton of funding. Um, and it takes really a year to build out a project, honestly. Like, uh, so, you know, um, I really expect this coming year to be when everyone starts to get like integrations going. Right. Like, a, I don't want to give up too much on our end. Right. But there's like, there's a lot you can build with options protocols, with, with um, just derivatives in general. Um, and, you know, this will lead to a lot of crazy yields. Um, maybe, maybe it will just take a while for everybody to catch on to this fact. Uh, but again, yeah, like people will, there's without a doubt in my mind, people that will be earning 25% consistently on their ETH. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, that sounds pretty sick to me. You heard it here 
first, folks. <laughs> Everyone can go complain to Julian when they can't pull off the the ninja yield farming of uh, of the ETH two dollar future. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, well, yeah, I, I really enjoyed being on. Um, you know, I am looking forward to more end from or more news from your end for sure. And yeah, I'd definitely love to have you guys on on for an AMM uh, or an AMA on the other side as well. Of course. Thanks so much for coming on tonight, Julian, and uh, for everyone else that's listening in. Uh, over here at Fiat Dow, we're we're doing this series just to get everyone more familiar with all the different types uh, of fixed income assets that could be supported as um, collateral in our system. Um, just a quick update: we're finalizing our initial audit and our setting up some additional peer reviews as well. And we're looking forward to a mid to late February uh, launch uh, of the V1 of the protocol. Uh, you know, and at that point, it's kind of off to the races with you know, supporting as many assets as possible and uh, kind of growing TVL uh, as judiciously as possible. It'll, it'll probably be guarded at the beginning, but you know, baby steps. So uh, thanks everyone for tuning in tonight. Um, and we'll probably have... Uh, a call next week as well. So uh, stay tuned for more on that as well.